Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. It was the greatest day in their history. After hundreds of years of slavery, it would finally end on that one pivotal night. Pharaoh was overcome by all of his stubbornness, refusing to let the people of Israel go, despite signs and wonders proving to him that he had no choice. But his stubbornness persisted. If the Hebrew people were going to leave Egypt, it would have to take a cataclysmic act of God. And it did. Through his messenger Moses, God told the Hebrew people that they would be saved, they would be liberated on that night, and that they had a part to play. While the spirit of the Lord would move through the land of Egypt, striking down every firstborn son as a final act of deliverance, the people of God would be spared if they did what the Lord had commanded them. The Lord had commanded them in order for the spirit of the Lord to pass over their house, they would need to sacrifice a lamb and take its blood and spread it across their door frames. This was about obedience. This was about identification. This was about trusting and entrusting themselves to the plan and the salvation purpose of the Lord. We are people of Yahweh. We are accepting and following his plan of liberation and salvation. And I want to ask the question, what if someone chose not to do that? We don't really have any stories to this effect, so we have to kind of keep it hypothetical. But what if you were an Israelite enslaved in Egypt and simply decided not to follow the Lord's commands for Passover? It's lunacy. It's almost like an unaskable question, like why would a starving person reject food? And yet still today, maybe even right now, there are people that still reject or refuse or hesitate the salvation plan of the Lord through Jesus. But maybe today something breaks free. Maybe today you see or hear or feel the invitation and the call to salvation, and you're liberated, enslaved to sin no more, identified by sin no more. Oh God, I pray that every single soul encountering your gospel good news message of repentance and forgiveness and redemption would no longer be identified by their sin, but enter into eternal life with you. Jesus, and that we're just one big family of God gathering here today. Amen. Mark 14, starting in verse 12. It's on the screens if you don't have Bibles or Bible apps to follow along. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they had sacrificed the Passover lamb, so Passover, what we were just talking about, honoring that, celebrating that, 
His disciples said to him, Jesus, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they began to be sorrowful and, and say to one another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Now, we don't have a whole lot of insight to the disciples' mindset right here and what they're thinking on Jesus's last precious few hours. But from what we do know, they didn't view it like that, that they were spending their last precious hours with Jesus. They simply weren't able to reconcile that the ways in which the salvation plan of God was gonna come about would be through Jesus hanging on a criminal's cross. They had followed Jesus now for three years. They had witnessed miracles and the calming of storms and Jesus taking on spiritual enemies and even, even established religion that had become so lost. And their past week in Jerusalem had been particularly aggravating to the status quo of Jerusalem, challenging them and, and people trying to shut him up and his influence. But the crowds just kept growing. More and more people came to encounter and experience this Jesus. And privately, his words to his followers continue to seem strange. He's talking to them not just about his death, but also the end times, as we talked about a couple of weeks back, letting them in on the vast and cosmic scope of God's mission. And it's Holy Week. It's the greatest celebration in their calendar year, Passover, which we had talked about at the very beginning. So of course, they're gonna join in with the rest of the holy city, and they're going to be celebrating Passover. The only question is where and how. And so as Jesus sends them out to set the stage for what he knows will be his final meal with them, his last supper, for the disciples, it's, it's business as usual. Because they can't see, they can't possibly fathom that this meal will be the last one that they share with Jesus before others come and take him away. Now, within Mark's gospel, he also makes sure to account that there are things going on behind the scenes, things that the disciples don't know about, but we do. At the very tail end of Pastor Brent's message from two weeks back, we learn that Judas has made up his mind to betray his friend. 
He's had it with the mission of Jesus. It's too inconsistent with where he wants to go and how he sees it. So he's made up his mind to take things into his own hands. And even with all of his, his scheming and undoubtedly all kinds of emotions that Judas must be feeling of, of fear and frustration and anger, even with all that, Judas still sits around the table. He still gathers as one of the 12. He just shoves all that anger, that frustration down so deep and he reclines around the table. Verse 17, Jesus came with the 12. One problem though, Jesus knows. Jesus draws attention because he knows what's in Judas's heart. He says, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me, one of the 12. Can you imagine the awkward nature around that holiday table? Can you imagine the tension in that room? One look at Jesus's face would tell all the disciples, he's not joking. This isn't playtime. I guarantee the sternness and the disappointment and the pain and the sorrow on Jesus's face felt very evident to all of them. You could cut the tension in this room with a knife. And one of them knows exactly who it is that Jesus is calling out. Judas knows that as Jesus says, one of you will betray me, he's been caught. He's been found out. For some strange reason, Jesus doesn't out Judas by name in front of all the other disciples, but he makes sure Judas knows, you know, and I know who the betrayer really is. And of course, the others don't. <laughs> and I know that there must be all kinds of confusion and frustration and, and people going, is it me? Is it, is it you? I would never do something like that. We often tend to think the best of ourselves and the worst of other people. Not a very healthy character trait. Now I wanna skip over verses 22 through 25 just for a bit and right on the heels of Jesus predicting and drawing attention that there's a betrayer in the room, this is what happens. Verse 26, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same. More betrayers. This is how Jesus lives out his final moments with his people. You're all gonna fall away from me. You're all gonna leave me and betray me in my greatest hour of need. And we, we draw Peter up. He kind of rises to the surface here a little bit because even though Jesus said they'll all fall away, he was the only one that thought so highly of himself, he would verbalize it. 
Even though they'll all fall away, I'm stronger than that. I would never deny you, Jesus. I would die for you, he says. He would never desert his friend, his master, the one he professed as the Christ. Again, thinking more highly of himself than others. But Jesus knows better. Jesus sees what is at our heart, what others cannot see in us. Even beyond what we will maybe admit to ourselves, Jesus sees it. I wanna make this very personal. If you have been concealing something, what you've been looking at online, that relationship you've been engaging in, that gossip that you've, you've been entertaining behind closed doors or online, I'm not telling you you're going to get caught. I am telling you Jesus already knows. Jesus already knows. People sometimes say we don't often talk about the more acceptable sins and we just kind of rise up on the, the more hot button issues. Well, first of all, let me say there should never be any acceptable sins. And secondly, we're talking about it right now. Beyond even your actions that others see and that others may call out and you may deal with in, in interactions with others, Jesus sees your motives. Jesus sees why you're doing what you're doing and what's at the heart of that, even beyond what you can fool and hide from other people or maybe even admit to yourself. Any and every part of us that is against the will of God, that is against what he wants in us and through us is sin. And it needs to be paid for by the blood of Jesus. And he sees it, all of it. He sees. See, like Judas, that pressure may be welling up within you, feeling like, I came to church today and I got caught. That pressure welling up within you reveals to you that your motives and your decisions are not as secret as you had thought they were. And with his people, Judas and Peter and his disciples, then and now, Jesus says these things so that you would know there's no playing around. You're not hiding anything, except maybe from a few other people, maybe even from yourself. And if that's you, the kindness of God does not raise the pressure in this room for your shame, but for your conviction. For the absolute immediate need for you to feel convicted and make a choice to stop the pain and stop the hurt. It's the only way to begin healing. You can't even begin to experience the forgiveness and the healing that God intends for you while you're willingly and actively still causing the pain. And today, we're gonna invite it all to stop. Right now. Over the past few weeks, we've made some significant invitations to the, the people of this church family. Invitations for people to start volunteering and serving in some capacity. And man, thank you for the many of you that have stepped up in those ways. It's been so awesome to see people step into service, Christ-like service. 
We've specifically invited people, start a connection, join one of our groups. As you heard Linda Motter say earlier, find your people. There have even been people that have been asking me before we've ever announced or promoted that we're gonna do baptisms on Easter Sunday, people asking, when can I get baptized? And, and when is the next baptism class? So baptisms on Easter Sunday, and yes, people are already filling their calendar with the baptism class, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before, the 24th. But see, this isn't an announcement. This is more me reflecting that, that God is moving in the hearts of people before we've even decided to announce it awesome to see how God's moving like that. And see, like we've been giving specific invitations to people to serve or to join a connection or maybe to be baptized, this weekend is your specific tap on the shoulder invitation to repent. And each of us will have an opportunity to respond. It is the kindness of God that gives you this message today. That he sees you. He sees your need for repentance and he's inviting you to it. Just like Judas, he could out you. He could point out your need for repentance to everyone around you, whether through consequences or through other people finding out. It might get that far, but maybe like he's striving, desperately trying to do with Judas, he's allowing some space before that action has consequences and before maybe other people find out and you can't ever return, he's allowing some space for you today to stop, to repent. All that word repent means is stop going in that direction and turn around. And that's your invitation today. I don't know if there will be other opportunities to repent. And I don't know if you're gonna let your free will choices continue down the road that lead to more consequences and pain. And God necessarily has to allow for those free will choices because God will not force us. There needs to be a choice in our relationship. But what I do know is that right now, it is the kindness of God that is inviting each and every one of us to repentance. Stop the pain. Start the healing. Today. A while back, I called a meeting with Pastor Brent Cunningham because basically anytime I have a question about really anything in life, he's kind of the go-to smart guy that I like to pick his brain. And this particular question was about baptism. And I asked him about people that have been baptized following their own personal choice of salvation. So not people that were baptized as an infant and it wasn't their choice, but people that were baptized following their own choice of salvation being baptized again. For instance, I asked, why shouldn't I as a pastor, whenever I feel the conviction of the Lord upon my life or, or an awakening or a stirring for less of me and more, in him, more of him in my life. Why should I not be baptized? And while it's certainly not a bad thing or something that believers can't do, Pastor Brent shared with me that people of the church tend to look towards an action like that because we devalue the act of repentance. Let me say that again. We devalue the act of repentance. Baptism may be a public demonstration of your faith, but repentance, if we're gonna practice it, usually we do it quietly. 
we may not even want to bring anybody else in with us. And the problem with that, church, is that when we don't bring anybody along with us in our repentance, it can be so easy to be unaccountable. Just change our mind whether we're actually repenting or not. Listen, if you haven't realized it before, you are, those of you here in person, you are sitting in a room of some messed up people. You're listening to a messed up person. So if you feel that somehow this call to conviction, this reality that maybe you came to church today and you got caught, and I must be the only person in this room who that applies to, you're not. We're all there before the cross. We will all fall away. And I am certain that if in your... your if you're in one of our connection groups and you go up to your connection leader or someone you trust in one of those groups and you're actually raw and authentic enough to share your conviction with them, I am certain that you will not find them being repulsed by you. You're gonna find that there's a lot more understanding and maybe even similarity in other people's stories. Maybe even your conviction inspires other people to go, wasn't gonna say anything, but that's me too. There's probably a lot more understanding and humility in the church than you might think. You just gotta be willing to, to be real. But in today's passage, we have encountered two specific betrayers, Judas and Peter. And I know that all the disciples will fall away from Jesus, but Peter's the only loudmouth that decides, I would never do that, or at least he's the first loudmouth to say that. One of these betrayers gave in to shame. And that was never the will of the Lord for him. Even after his betrayal, it was not God's will for Judas that he would give in to shame. He would be so identified by the loudness and the identity of his sin that that's now who he was and what his future was gonna be like. That was not the will of God for him. And as I've been trying to say as best I can, if today you feel convicted, you feel caught, you feel seen by Jesus in all of, of the rawness of your life, please, please, please don't give in to shame. Conviction, yes. Shame, no. You are not defined by your sin. You do not have to be defined by your sin. Because look at the other guy that was outed by Jesus as a pending betrayer, Peter. Oh, he, he was humbled. He undoubtedly had a miserable and sorrowful weekend doing the very thing that he told Jesus, I would never do. But... Because of Jesus, Peter found redemption. Even though Peter did the very thing he told Jesus he would never do, Jesus did for Peter what he could have never done for himself, restored him, redeemed him. Even when we do things we'd never do, Jesus does for us what we could never do. Have you ever heard the story of the voyage of the Don Treader? 
the Chronicles of Narnia story by C.S. Lewis, uh, there's this part where a character, Eustace, becomes a dragon. And after a while, he ties, tries to de-dragonify himself. Not a word, TSM, not a word. The rest of you, I don't care. You've hopefully learned vocab. Um, he tries to take his dragon skin off. He claws at it. And in fact, he, he gets to the point where he's able to remove it like shedding of a snake skin. And he, he leaves it aside and, and he looks at his ref, reflection, still a dragon. And he does it again and again and again. And it's hurting and he's raw and he's sensitive. But no matter how much he claws at his self, he can't change. And the Christ character in the story, Aslan, comes to him and simply says, you have to let me do it. You have to let me do it. You feel caught today? You wanna repent? Here's the best news. You don't have to do it on your own power. You have to let him do it. You have to let him do what you could never do for yourself. You have to let Jesus bring restoration from your repentance, just like he did with Peter. And you just need to repent. You have to let Jesus do it. Peter had a rough couple of days. In fact, I might even imagine that maybe Peter had the same low thoughts of himself that Judas did but Peter still allowed the redemption and the restoration that God was doing in his life to be louder than his failures. That's the gospel message. That there is therefore now no condemnation for the person that is in Jesus. Even if someone as unworthy as me, yes. How do you know? How, where do we see that? That is why I skipped those four verses right in the middle of today's passage. Sandwiched between brutal betrayal and utter failure of all of his friends. Betrayer and betrayers. Sandwiched between that, Jesus does this. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my, the, my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That's his response to the betrayers sitting in the room around him. That's his response. That's his response to me knowing what I looked at online last night or how I talked to my wife this morning. That's his response. Well, maybe that's his response to people that he really likes because, I mean, even I can forgive people I like. No, that's still his response to those who would mock him and beat him and torture him and murder him on a cross. You know what his response was? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I do. And that's why I'm going to do for them what they could never do. What kind of religion is this? 
the kind that does for us what we could never do and never have to do if we accept what Jesus has done for us. In the context of Passover, which we had talked about at the very beginning, Jesus connects all of that to his own sacrifice and the way he's gonna liberate and free people through the gospel, taking old symbols and giving them new surpassing meaning. And in the shadow of Passover, he takes the bread and he breaks it and he divides it so that they all may receive it. Did you hear that, Judas? Did you hear that, Peter? So that all may receive it. Even when he sees someone as unworthy as me, yes. Not a single soul that hears this message right now needs to be enslaved or defined by your sin any longer. Yes, I'm talking to you. That is why I prayed at the beginning that every single person hearing this can and should and must be part of the family of God right now, today. When Jesus tells his disciples, take this, eat it, drink it, it simply and profoundly extends that to all who might receive it. And church, we just need to receive it. We just need to take it and accept it. This is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for many because of his perfect, eternal son of God sacrifice. It can be extended to all. It is sufficient, more than sufficient for vast inclusion for all of us. Isaiah 53, 12 says it like this. I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That's his response. What's yours? How many homes and businesses, friendships, and marriages need an absolute breakthrough of conviction today. Let him do it. Stop trying to do it on your own. Let him do it. Allow God to bring breakthrough. Allow him to intercede for the transgressor. He sees your need for repentance and my need for repentance. And maybe for you, your act of taking communion today can be your powerful way of valuing repentance. Valuing the act of repentance. I'm gonna take this and then I'm gonna remember that he did this knowing what I've been doing. He did this for me. And maybe this starts your act of repentance and you stop today and you turn and maybe involve some other people, confide in them, help me with this. It's what we do as a church. So if you Want to take communion today? If you haven't, grab the communion elements. There's communion elements in the back. Those of you joining us online, if you wanna go find some communion elements, we'd love for you to participate as well. But in a way that has surprised, honestly, even me, uh, today, 
We're gonna choose to have an opportunity for people to do something that maybe they thought they would never do in being baptized. People today to make a radical breakthrough response to Jesus. Now, I told you earlier, I've been, I've been planning Easter baptisms. It's on the calendar in the baptism class before that week. It's, it's on the calendar. I'm ready. That's what I've been telling people. But here's the great thing. When people come to us as a church and say they are thirsty for the waters of baptism, they want to publicly share what's going on in their life, and they don't want to wait, the church doesn't wait. The response is not wait for Easter. We fill up that baptismal, we warm it to about 81 degrees, and we make sure that we are ready to do this and publicly share the joy of people responding and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've been so moved by people's responses of desperation and dedication. People that no longer wanna wait and just say, get me that baptismal, I have a story to share. People that have planned on this. I love, I'm inspired by that. That's why we did that this weekend. But here's the other thing that's maybe even a little crazier. We're gonna extend the invitation for you not just to witness and participate in worship, but respond. If you have not been baptized following your salvation, following your choice of salvation, what could be strong enough to prevent you from unreservedly following Jesus today and saying, I'm yours? I didn't plan this. (laughs) I couldn't plan this. I didn't show up to church today planning on getting caught. But Jesus sees me. He sees all of me. And he's calling me to repentance. And if that's you, walk out of here a little wet and a lot changed. Allow him to do it. So I'm gonna invite the worship team back up. We're gonna take an act of communion together. And I know that all this talk about being baptized, maybe even making a day of decision of being baptized in your street clothes might sound crazy. Who would even think of that? Who would, who would suggest that? Wasn't my idea. I don't know if people will take me up on this invitation, but that's not my job. My job is to faithfully extend his invitation to you. And if that's where God is stirring on your heart, don't let waiting or being wet or thinking that somehow there's some embarrassment or shame in this room stop you from unreservedly following Jesus. The Bible gives us all kinds of beautiful examples of people that throw caution away and say, I'm not letting anything hold me back from you. You encountered me in a powerful way that I didn't expect. This is my response. So as we take communion, I pray that if there's that stirring, that welling up inside of you, something that I talked to people about last service and had people participate in, don't let that voice be stifled. Listen to the movement of the Spirit. See what he's calling you to. If you're able, I invite you to stand. I invite you to grab the bread, hold it in your hand. He took this, he broke it, he gave it to all people. If you're holding this, it means that you have embraced and received it from him. Yes, for you, radically for you, doing what you could never do for yourself. He did it. 
Let's take that in remembrance and celebration. And he took the cup and even with the betrayers sitting in the room around him, he said, this is the new definition of our relationship. The definition of our relationship is not how you have or will betray me. It's this, that I see it and it's covered fully, sufficiently by the blood. God, in this time and in this space, I pray that your spirit would do the miracle works that only you can do. I thank you for the lives that have kind of forced us to call an audible and fill up the baptismal and say, we're doing this. I thank you for the lives of three people we've already shared this morning in baptism, being able to say, I'm a follower of Jesus and I gotta share what he's doing in my life. I'm not gonna hold back any longer. And God, I pray that if there is a soul hearing this right now that is stirred and goes, man, I I think that may be me, allow them to sense your pleasure. Allow them to sense that as they walk to the back of the room in a few minutes to talk to me, it's not their steps, but it's you guiding them. It's you moving the muscles in their souls going, walk with me, let's do this. I pray that you would be powerful, you would be glorified, and we thank you for the ways that you're moving in people's lives. Amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit TimberlineChurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.